morning. Thank you, worship team. It's great to see everybody today. Hey, we had a great week. What was going on was absolutely fantastic. Uh, we had 25 people leave here, leave Charleston on Monday, the youth trip heading to Tennessee. Yes, it happened, it happened. And while they were there, they uh, 14 of them got baptized. There was over a thousand, over a thousand youth getting together, yelling, screaming, talking about Jesus, talking about their lives with God. And so if you were a part of making that happen through your contributions, we just want to thank you for supporting that. That was amazing. Madison, come on up. I want Madison to come up. Madison's not only a member of our worship team, but also she went on the trip. So Madison, tell me, give me a, give me a takeaway from what you saw happen and maybe what happened to you. Oh, I might cry. Oh, no. yeah, I was, I mean, we're all about that. The spirit was moving in a way that I've never seen him move before. Um, we had 14 people baptized. Out of the 19 of us, 14 got baptized. Um, yeah, it was just incredible. We saw healing. We saw revival. We saw people being so faithful to God, and it was just so inspiring to kind of be there and watch God move in everybody's life. Wow. It was just that, awesome. That's fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank you. Man, I tell you what, that just charges me up. You know, um, as a 60-something-year-old person, you know, I, not that I've given up on my life. I know I got a lot of life ahead of me, and I'm excited about the impact that God's called me to have on the world. But I get really happy when I see people falling in love with Jesus that are coming up behind me. You know, when I, especially when I see youth getting excited about the relationship with God and that God is so faithful to reveal himself to any generation and to any people that, that want to know him. You know, I love that uh, verse that comes out of Jeremiah. It's someplace in there. It says uh, that if we will seek him with all of our hearts, if we will draw near to him, he will reveal himself. He will be found by us. So let me encourage you. Today, over the next coming weeks, just turn your heart towards God because God is already there with you. He just needs you to. He's knocking at the door. He just needs you to open up your heart and to discover his love in your life. So we've been talking about the blessings of God, being connected to God in relationship with God. Last week we talked, my wife was up here, we talked about marriage, we talked about chemicals for your pool. And if you're wondering how that connected, please go online, listen to our podcast. Um, I, I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it was a great way to understand some difficult terms, but at the same time discover the blessings of God in, in marriage. Today we're going to go into blessings, but we're going to expand this circle, not just in marriage. And, and as I'm talking today, I am excited about this one. This, I mean, I, I tell you, there sometimes I really get charged about teaching, and today is the one that I get really charged because it's really difficult. And you're going, I, so it's really important that we all be very careful about trigger words, all right? Uh, all of us are from a lot of different backgrounds. I, I'm willing to bet that we are uh, fastly growing to become one of the most diverse churches in Charleston. Um, and I am so proud of that. We are diverse on so many different levels. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. If you thought that this church was just a gathering of the, the right-wing religious of the United States, oh, no, 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 that's not, that's, not what, that's not what's here. What's here is people who are drawing near after God, and that will always be our number one priority. So the one thing I like about Crosstown is you guys let me talk, you let me talk like 
like an adult and, and a person who's experiencing life, not just like, you know, you know, from a seminary perspective or anything like that. You let me get into the real issues that I know that you and I are dealing with. So today, um, uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of, we all have a reaction button inside of us, you know, that as soon as you hear a word or something said, last week we talked about submit, you know, and, and, and I, I kept a look around to see if anybody was going to move or anything like that. I mean, there was a couple ladies ready to hit the hot button, ready to like, you know, eject outside, the, right through the roof and, and, and go, but, but you all kind of hung tough on that. And so let me encourage you today to uh, just hang, just let the, let the whole thing happen. Do not quote me out of context. Don't Twitter, tweet, or snapshot me or anything like that out, outside of the whole podcast. You can just about hang anybody on three words that they say if you isolate them all by yourself. So today we're gonna to talk about bringing this blessing a little bit further. Uh, and we're gonna be talking about the subject of unity. Um, there's this beautiful and powerful illustration. I've used it in other cases, but I, I, it really directly applies to this, that God gives us about how unity works and how it flows from God into people and then how it works its way into community. There's actually a verse about it in Psalm 133. And let me read it to you. It's, it's a beautiful artistic picture. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. From there, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life uh, forevermore. What a beautiful description of what unity is supposed to be like. Good and pleasant. I mean, that's, that's what God considers unity, is something that produces something good and pleasant. But when David talked about it, he used his artistic manner of, of describing things, and he, and, and he used a topographical simile. And the reason why I like topographical similes is because over the last seven years, I've been playing a hydrologist on TV. I, I, because Crosstown floods, and we've had problems and working with the city and working with the Dutch and working, uh, I have had to develop some 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 skills in the area of hydrology and basic fundamentals of how it works, some of the terminologies, uh, some of the topographical uh, mappings and concepts that go on with it. So when I read this, I, I kind of read it as a hydrologist. And um, listen to what he says. He said, it is like the dew of her mom. When he's talking about the process of unity, he said, it's like the dew of her mom which falls on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded his blessing. So since I've kind of had a little bit of exposure to this, um, I, you know, if you need me to you know, call me and, and put in a French drain for you at your house, I'm probably qualified to do that. If you're, you know, you're having a problem with flooding in your basement, you know, give me a call. I can give you some ideas on it. I'll direct you to a professional. But I, I kind of get how water flows. And for the most part, you kind of know how it flows too. I mean, the moment that a toddler in your house picks up a cup of water, uh, you all of a sudden run over in the living room and, and stop because you know exactly how water is going to flow out of that cup onto your living room floor. So I wanted you to see how this verse flows. Um, and, and through this hydrological simile, we're going to see how blessings flow on the issue of unity. So first, there's this Mount Hermon in the north of Israel. Okay, so there, there's, our, there's our mountain, and it's in this mountain range. But then 
it talks about that the dew hits the rock, the cool rock, rock of the mountain. So in those upper areas, there's this, we learned about dew point and all that stuff, colder objects being hit by saturated air, and then the water coming out as a result of the, the lowering to the dew point and all that. We learned about that. But so in the dew, in the um, Mount Hermon, this is what occurs. The dew arrives and it, it, it hits the, the rock. Next, the dew then forms and begins to run down the mountain. The next phase as it runs down the mountain is it forms, interestingly enough, the Jordan River. This is how the Jordan River is formed, is through the dews of Hermon. So when David's talking about the dews of Hermon, he's, he's talking about something that's integrated with this meta-narrative of Israel. Then finally, it travels through the arid regions of Israel and, and forms what we know as the Sea of Galilee. Now, regardless of the complexity uh, um, of the culture, what we've learned from anthropology is that whenever there's water around, society seems to be built there. People, we, we go to freshwater locations. Matter of fact, 80% of the United States lives around some form of water. Americans just love living on a coastline, living next to a lake. I mean, so, but we've learned this from anthropology. Wherever there's water flowing, that's where we begin to see cities being built, where tribal people will begin to form and to live, and they'll, and they'll begin to flow in this particular area. This, in this flow, it is this flow of you, that when we have unity with God, that it begins to flow down into our lives and we see the formation of societies take place. So it's really interesting. There's going to be a correlation between the unity that we experience in that city and the contact that we meet on the mountain. There's going to be something connected with those two things. Is that when we are in unity with God as individuals, when we allow God to uh, we, we enter into relationship with God and we meet with God even on the cold rock of our souls. Maybe, maybe even the unfriendly, biased, maybe even racist or, or, or whatever it is, hearts that we have because we're all born in iniquity. We were all born broken. We're all born with, you know, and then grow up in particular biases. When we allow God to hit that, all of a sudden another substance begins to emerge. And that substance is the power to create society, to create community, to create a harmonious family, to create this amazing marriage because we allow God to commune with our souls. So that's where it starts. It starts in that place in our relationship with God. And we find that there is a blessing that comes when we are walking in unity with God and with one another. I, there are very few places that you will find in the Bible where the scriptures say that God commands his blessing there and there and there. I mean, because don't you all want to be in the there? I mean, don't you want to be wherever there is? But it's, it's like David said, oh yeah, he, I can tell you exactly where God's going to command his blessing, there. And he's talking about when the brethren, when the community, when the family, when the marriage, when, when the city, when the nation dwells in unity, 
I reward that. I bless that when people live in unity with one another. So this one another may, may be your family. So maybe that's how far God's expanding the circle today for you, is to challenge the discord that's going on right now in your family. This one another may be a church. This one another may be a marriage or, and it or may be a community. So when we walk in unity with God, God begins to command a blessing towards us and as we bring that love that relationship to other people, God says, there, okay? I just saw what you did there. I'm gonna command a blessing in that place. I'm gonna command a blessing in that place as you walked in, in relationship with me. Adversely, when things dry up with God, things dry up with one another. And welcome to America. When things dry up with God, things dry up with one another. And what are the first things that we begin to see? disappear, the good and pleasant places. You know, that's what happens in a marriage. When the good and pleasant experience of being married to this person that you fell in love with, when the unity begins to dry up, the good and pleasantness is the first thing that disappears. Oh sure, there may be a lot of duty left and a lot of covenant left and a lot of commitment left, but wouldn't you like to have good and pleasant places? You know, and, and so it's so important that our, our walking with God, walking like God walked through Christ is so important. So the first thing that we need to challenge is this idea of unity, uh, that it does not mean that we are always in agreement on everything, okay? But I see unity this way, biblically, I see it as rather the commitment to walk together in the essentials even if it's difficult, okay? It's, it's this willingness to walk together in relationship, stay in relationship with each other, even when we're not in agreement and it's difficult. And this is the craft that America has lost. Maybe this is the craft that you have lost. I am always shocked about the transitions of people through the Crosstown Church. Because, you know, I'll, I'll come away and I'll be like, I mean, I love God with all my heart. I've been pursuing God for over 35 years. I really am, I, I live directed according to his word. I mean, I'm really, I'm really working at this. I mean, this isn't my job. I, could, I mean, I'm smart enough to do other things, you know? I mean, you know, I, I, I could have been in the Marvel universe. I don't know what the character would have been, but I, you know, I could have been somebody. But it's like, no, no, this is everything to me. Why? Because it's everything into my heart. I'm not just a paid professional. I don't like being called a reverend, okay? Because that's to, that's to reduce me to my profession. No, um, I, I like being called pastor sometimes because that's my passion, the outworking, but I'm a child of God. This thing, this thing is real to me. So it doesn't mean that we always walk in agreement with each other. It doesn't mean that we all you know, and so I see people will come and all of a sudden I'll talk about wearing masks because that's the CDC guidelines if you're not vaccinated. And all of a sudden we'll see people leave the church. It's like, oh my gosh, you're leaving me on mass. I'm over here fighting the devil on your behalf, praying for you when you're sick, counseling you when you're acting like a weirdo and, and you're gonna leave me over mass? And you're not a scientist? You know, I mean, it's, like, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? But in America, we've gotten this way. In marriage, we've gotten this way. 
You know, in families, we have gotten this way. It's, we've lost this incredible ability to live with the tension of disagreement. Does anybody think that God really agrees with everything that's going on in your life? I mean, raise your hand if you think God agrees with everything that's going on in your life, because we, we need to have a Bible study, okay? I mean, when it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, I mean, that's somebody who has cultivated the ability to love even though I'm not in agreement with you. So much to the point of death. That is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So we first need to learn, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but we need to learn to stop reacting when we find out that somebody doesn't agree with what you're saying, what I'm saying, or even maybe what the Bible says. So listen to what Paul says. And he's talking about this to his culture. And he's talking in Ephesus. These people were, these people were whacked, okay? They were sacrificing this to that God. They were, had all kinds of idols. They were having sex in church. They were, I mean, in church. They were, I mean, they were, these people were, were uh, polytheistic. They were, they were raw. They were cosmopolitan. They were, they were uh, Vanity Fair and Vogue and, and, and uh, Charisma Magazine all woven together, okay? I mean, so they were just about everything. So listen to Paul, how he talks to them and how he's talking to us. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, what's that saying? First of all, that means he lives in conflict, he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. See, I want you to see how Paul describes walking out the Christian calling um, to love God and to love one another. I mean, listen to how we... Now, first of all, he's implying they have the truth. They, they know they, they have the truth. So he's like, that's implied. It's like, okay, you know what's right and wrong. You know who God is. Okay, but so now he's saying, that now that we got to this place, here's how I want you to, to walk in that truth. With humility. With gentleness. With patience. Showing tolerance in love. Diligent to preserve Unity. See, in all this, there is nothing that says we have to agree on everything. Matter of fact, I, would, I think the fact that he's using these words is implying that there is a disagreement going on. That he's kind of like me today in an American society or maybe speaking into your marriage. He's like, hold on, no, I know you guys disagree about a lot of stuff, Americans. I know you guys got opinions about everything and about masks and about vaccines and about all this other stuff. And, he, and he's like, but no, no, no. I, we got to talk about whether or not more than just whether or not you're right or wrong. We got to talk about how you're right or wrong. We got to talk about how you're interacting with other people and realizing, you know, check to see what's coming out of you in the middle of this, this time when there is disagreement. But then Paul brings us back to, to the key unifying elements. One church, one spirit, one hope, who is Christ, 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. See, it is from these truths and these principles that flow, uh, that, that produce our ground of agreement. It's our Sea of Galilee. It's all flown, uh, flowed from our relationship with God and it creates the Sea of Galilee and, and, it's, and it's full of uh, kindness and patience and, and love and, and tolerance and all these other words that he used. And, and he's like, listen, you know, let's remember what unifies us. Let's remember what's, what's important in all of this. You see, it's from my one faith in God that I am called to love others. It is from my one God that I know that all of you are image bearers. It is from my one Lord that I know that I am called to die for you and you for me. See, it's out of that one truth. I just, I just quoted three verses in the Bible. I kind of paraphrased them, but, but I just quoted three verses in the Bible that are the very Sea of Galilee to every marriage, to every community to every country and it all flows out of my relationship with God I'm not choosing my character or my behavior based upon the color of your skin huh okay they're from the Pacific Rim well I'll behave one way oh they're from uh, they're African American well well then I'm going to behave a different way uh, well they're white well I'm going to behave this way it's like, no, no, that, that, that's not the, the mountain of Hermon. We're not going to group people into large herds and say, okay, we're going to hate this group and we're going to penalize that group and then we're going to love this group. And if you're in this group, you get love and if this group, and that's where we're heading. Okay, and it happens in marriages. It happens when a wife says to her girlfriend while they're having coffee at Starbucks, well, you know men. It's like, oh, really? You don't know this one. I'll die for my wife. I love my wife. I will die for my children. I will die for my grandchildren. I will say, you don't know me. Well, you know all white people. No, no, you, no you don't know all white people. Well, you know black people. No, you, you can't. It's, it's mentally and physiologically and psychologically impossible to know all black people. What God's concerned about is the person that's in front of you and that you don't alter your character just because that person's gay. You know, that's so ridiculous. We whisper, you know, he's black. Um, you, know, he, you know, it's like, you know, they're gay, right? It's like, oh my goodness, you lowered your voice. What is that telling me about your perspective about this other person? Why not just tell me that, you know, they're created in the image of God, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot to tell you that. You know, I have really been working on my storytelling. I really haven't. Because normally I would tell a story, because I'm, I'm in that group that nobody's really liking too much right now. And so, uh, but because we've been telling most of the story for a long time our own way. And, but, you know, it hasn't been all wrong. But the way that we told the story was kind of wrong and all the photos and the movies and all that. So I get us some of that. There's been some mistakes along the way. 
Um, but I've actually gone through, and when I tell you a story, hey, you know, the other day I was riding my bike. When I was riding a bike, I, this guy came up, and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Do I need to say that he was a guy? Could I have said it was a person? It's like, okay, this guy came up to me, and, uh, um, you know, he was from North Korea. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Did I need to say that he was from North Korea? Um, I, and, and, then you, you be, and I'm beginning to say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is some of the way that I'm telling the story disunifying or discordant? Isn't that interesting? Is it discordant by adding more information? Why not just kind of like, if it's not integral to the story, you know, um, then, you know, then why am I sharing the information? So, I am called to behave towards everybody with one faith, one Lord, one God, one love that he has given to me. So Paul uses a word that is, that it may have grabbed your notice. This is the hot button word. It is one that has been attacked, misused, and attempted to redefine. And it's the word tolerance. In its Greek usage, it means to bear up under attack. That's what it means in Greek. It means when Paul's saying it, this is what he means. He says, he says I want you to be kind to everybody. I want you to be gentle. I want you to walk humbly. And I, I want you to bear up under attacks. In its context, it is challenging us to stand strong in love towards other people, even when they attack us. See, this is, this is incredible. Too often we respond to someone who differs with us by attacking them back. I met a guy the other day, yeah, yeah, the other day and uh, I was telling him about this incredible plan that the city is putting forth with Crosstown. Um, and we've been an integral part of it, designing an estuary that will be behind us and there's gonna be a berm system and everything. It's gonna be absolutely beautiful. Uh, that's going to happen here. And I was sharing it with a guy yesterday and, and the guy said, well, that'll never work. And, and, you know, I've been in this for seven years and I, I've, I've been studying the hydrology and I've been working with the engineers. I've been working with the Dutch and there's just this regular dude just say, well, that'll never work. Yeah, the city's out of their mind. It'll never work. They're never able to fix anything. And I tell you, everything inside of me wanted to just go, just go. After this guy, I mean, I'm like, you're talking into my life here and, and, and my work and the work of other dedicated people. But it was like, well, wait a minute. No, Paul, I've called you to be tolerant. I want you to be able to take a hit. I want you to be able to take somebody that disagrees with you. I want you to be able to, to stand up in, not just stand up. Not, it doesn't say bow up, does it? It doesn't say, because that's what we do in America. We bow up. Uh, and but it's like, no, it says to stand up in love when somebody doesn't agree with you. The world around us could really use, and I'm gonna combine these, it, I, tolerant love. Because I think in America we need to kind of almost hyphenate this word because tolerant all by itself is lost. And I don't care what side you're on in this word, it's kind of lost its context biblically. Um, I think of tolerance working this way in our marriage countries and, and, and communities. This is, I think this is absolutely a beautiful uh, illustration. Okay, you're driving your car. And in your car, here's a picture of what is called a shock exorber. That is the yellow part in this picture. I, I'm not condescending to you. I'm just telling you in case you didn't know what the yellow part was. And then there's the coil over spring on top of it there. 
Well, the reason why they decided to invent something like that, and I don't know if it was with wagons or with, when it was vehicles, is that every time your wheel hits a pothole or a bump, there is negative energy involved. All of a sudden, your wheel drops into a hole or a pothole, and there's negative energy that, that the wheel just went through. Now, what's going to happen, if there's no shock absorber, that negative energy is going to be transmitted through the stiffness of the frame right to the driver. Now, if this occurs enough times, your wheel will fall off. And you've probably seen those Westerns where they're trying to get away and all of a sudden one of the wheels goes off and like that. But so what the engineers came up with is this something that's called in-between shock absorbing. Something in between the wheel and something between the chassis. So when this, because we know there are potholes, we know that there will be conflicts, we know that there will be disagreements, that when the wheel goes, not if the wheel goes into a hole, but when the wheel goes into a hole, that we don't want to lose control of the car, have an, uh, a, a discomforting ride, or see our wheel spinning off to the right-hand side. So they created this thing called a shock absorber. If we are going to live in a country that allows the practice of Islam to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, to pick your favorite political party, to choose which trees you're going to cut down in your yard, to question your sexual identity, to post your personal opinions, to read whatever books that you want, to enjoy your favorite movie of whatever kind, to protest peacefully for your rights, to fly the flag or to kneel in front of it, to pick what college you want to go to, to choose whether or not you're going to get a vaccine or not, spend your money on things that matter to you, to practice theism or atheism, move about the country without fear, and to live in the midst of diversity, we are going to need a shock absorber, okay? It's the only way America works because we're not going to agree on everything. You know, let me just give you a perfect example. And you may think it's ridiculous, but we've had people leave the church um, because I let Stacey McLean speak on Sunday morning occasionally, okay? And they will isolate and decontextualize a verse where it says, I do not allow a woman to speak in the church. Yeah, it's like kind of rough, isn't it? And it's like, dang, you're, that's in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, well, there's a lot of things. And it also says Jesus went and hung himself, but that doesn't mean God wants you to do that. But, but when you decontextualize and don't see in the complete narrative of Scripture what God is talking about in that particular verse, then it can become a divisive element. And so we've had people just leave. And so look, I don't like a woman speaking in church and you're going to leave. And it's like, so, so wait a minute. We're in the middle of fighting for our lives here in America trying to make culture work, trying to make family work, and you're going to leave over that? And we have people that will leave church over speaking in tongues. Pastor Paul, do you believe that you can speak in an unknown tongue and, and do miracles? Yes, I do. And, and you may not know it, but I do at times in my prayer, times speak in an unknown tongue inspired by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what's that all about? Ah, God. But you know, uh, but if you don't believe that, you know, you don't go to another church. Do you know how many doctrines there are that could divide us? Well, 
Pastor Paul, do you believe in the rapture, the mark of the beast? Do you believe that, that there'll be, uh, I don't know, something years of tribulation, seven years of tribulation and all that other stuff? And it's like, well, yeah, well, let me ask you before I give you an answer. Are you going to leave the church over this? Because if we get back to Paul, it was one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. And even in that, I want you to walk in that truth with humility, patience, love, you know, tolerance with one another. America's gonna need a really good shock absorber because we're not gonna agree on everything. I don't wanna live in that America, do you? Do you wanna live in America where we're forced to all agree on everything and if, we, if you don't agree with a certain group of people that you are canceled? Is anybody liking that? I'm not liking it. We're not gonna approve of everything in, in America. And I can't affirm everything that's going on in America, but we are called to love everyone in America. And we are called to accept everyone in America. And if we're gonna pull that off, we're going to need a really good shock absorber. If you're going to be married for 35 years, you're gonna need a shock absorber. You're gonna need a tolerant love but if ladies, you're gonna get offended with your husband every time he goes fishing with his, with his buddies, and, and husbands, if you're going to have expectations towards your wife and, and that are unrealistic, and you know, because guys do that, then you know, it's not gonna work. We're gonna need, you're gonna need a shock absorber in your family. I mean, parents, if every time your kid comes home and now they're, they're uh, they're listening to some new music or listening to some artist and all of a sudden you're going to freak out every time and throw their iPod, well, not their iPod, I'm showing my age, throw their, uh, throw their phone every time they're listening to something that you don't like. I'm telling you what, it's, it's just not going to work. Tolerance also is not an excuse to be ugly, hateful, or disingenuous. Okay, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this. I don't know a lot about it. I'm just going to say it. But I'm really getting concerned. I love how Christians are involved in society and to be involved in politics. But you know what? I'm beginning to see Christians get a little... They're, 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 they're letting their nationalism get ahead of their Christianity. Okay? And that scares me. As a... As a as a conservative, and I mean conservative, I mean I have, I have these really cool little values here in the Bible. I mean, you know, I'm supposed to be married to one woman, I'm supposed to be married to a woman, it, those kinds of those things. I, conservative doesn't mean I'm racist or anything like that. And, and all this stuff gets kind of huddled under stuff. Um, but I think Christians in America right now are, are really, got to be careful about how ugly we're getting. Okay? Um, and I don't want to say too much about that because I don't even know all the facts. But it's like, we're kind of like pairing up. Like, it's like, Paul, what's your stand on? You know, it's time for us to fight for the flag. And I'm like, okay. And that sounds right. As an American who's a veteran who loves this country and, and came through the Cold War and, and couldn't stand the Soviet Union for all my life and still can't stand the stinking Soviet Union. Uh, but I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. Is that my first calling? Is my first calling the flag of the United States, as much as I love it and fly it every day at my house. Is that what I'm supposed to be fighting for? Um, as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I know you could just write me off. 
Maybe you're not at the Mount of Hermon, but you're, you are at a mountain of some sort of belief system. So if we value liberty, if we value the ability to choose, which is reinforced by scripture, we must learn the power of gracious, tolerant love. It is not an excuse to be ugly, hateful, or disingenuous to other human beings. That is, that is against our one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one spirit, that is definitely against everything that God stands for. So tolerance is the, tolerant love is the shock absorber of a healthy, diverse society. Raise your hand if you believe, every, you agree with everything about me in my life. Raise your hand if you agree with everything about, what are you shaking your head for? Okay, I didn't ask for a demonstration against me. Uh, okay, okay. See, you're doing it every day. Okay, wives, raise your hand if you agree with everything about your husband. Everything about it. Okay, so, yeah. See, the reason why I went with wife instead of husband is because I know some men are so afraid of their wives, they would have put their hand up anyway. There he goes. There he is. <laughs> Here's the great thing about Christian tolerance. And, I, and I, again, I'm having to put adjectives in front of it because I can't let you just walk out of here and, and reference some book or newspaper or some website or some group, political group, that's using this word. Tolerance creates a safe place for people to be different than you. Tolerance displays that you value the image of God in other people just like God does that even when you disagree with them, you love them. Because that's exactly what God did. It diminishes the perceived need for conflict. I don't have to argue with this guy about, about our flood solution for the church Greek basin. Why am I about to respond to him with a servo of, uh, of nukes you know, why am I going to have this argument with this guy that I know is clearly uninformed on the issue? Why not live at peace with him? And Tolman says, dude, you don't have to argue about everything. And here's the other thing. In turn, it keeps you safe. It does. See, when you live at peace with others and you only fight over what needs to be fought over, it creates a pocket of peace around your own life. I've learned something about America in the last two years. And again, this is not just about America. This is about marriages. This is about families. This is about churches. We will fight one another over everything. Okay, two years ago, I thought it was just race. You know? And there are some things that we, we need to fix about race in America. But I really thought it was like, oh, okay, that's it. That's what we're going to fight over in America is, is race. And then we kind of moved along a little bit on that, and, and, and then, then we got into some gender issues, okay? So, again, it once divided America, and, it, and it, then, you know, all of us were kind of like, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to respond to that? And I found like, whoa, whoa, we can get ugly about that too. So it wasn't just race. 
It can be gender. And then now we are standing on the precipice of possible silver, civil um, disruption in, in America on the issue of vaccines, okay? Uh, whether or not to wear a mask or not, whether or not you will wear a mask or not, whether or not you'll get vaccinated or not. God forbid, if President Biden issues a law that we all va mask up again, even if we're vaccinated, I'll tell you what, there'll be some states that will push for secession from the United States, okay? I mean, God bless the people in Florida. My daughter lives there and all that. Those folks, and those folks are ready. I mean, you tell Florida to mask up, I think they'll be ready to go to war. But you know what? Massachusetts has got its own attitude that I don't agree with, okay? But they'll be ready to war up. What I have learned is that we are all fallen and we're all broken. And we were, when we are not communing with God, when we are not encountering the grace of God, the truth of God, and the love of God, we are ready to war with each other over everything, okay? Do you know in about 15 days, I believe in 15 days, South Carolina becomes an open carry state, okay? That means there are going to be pistols in Walmart, openly. Now, I'm not here to argue over whether that's right or not. But I will tell you this, I am a little concerned. Because if we can't value people of different color, if we're ready to burn homosexuals at the, on, on a cross, if we are ready to fight each other over mass, God forbid on Black Friday at Christmas time when Walmart opens up and TVs go on sale and half the people walk in there with nine millimeters. We won't survive it. So I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to tell you you're part of the solution. Your political party is not. Your color of your skin is not. Your gender is not. You're called to something higher. Unity with God and allow the grace of God to flow into you, to flow down your mountain and to flow and create the Sea of Galilee around you. We are ready to fight on everything. In military terms, it's like what we call um, operating at DEFCON 1. You guys remember this? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the Chinese aren't gonna blow us up. North Koreans, they ain't gonna get no missile over here. You know, I, I, I'm sorry, that was condescending. Um, but you know, they're not gonna, the Russians aren't going to do it. Uh, we're gonna bomb ourselves. Why? Because too many of us are DEFCON 1. Let me just read it to you. DEFCON 1, in military terms, the exercise term, when they, your general says to it, it says, we're going to cock pistol. Okay? I mean, that means the hammer's back, it's the maximum level, level of readiness, immediate response, nuclear war is imminent or it's already started. DEFCON 2, which is the highest that I've experienced in my life, at least is to public knowledge. And I think the last time we were at DEFCON 2, I don't think it was 9-11, but I do think it was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, armed forces were ready to deploy and engage in less than six hours. The next step in readiness would be to launch nuclear weapons. DEFCON 3 is called Roundhouse. Air Force ready to mobilize in 15 minutes. Increase in force of readiness above that required for normal readiness. 
I kind of feel like most Americans are at DEFCON 3. You're a little bit more ready for a war that hasn't happened yet. Okay? Ready for a fight, and you don't even know why you want to fight it yet. DEFCON 4, it's a double take. Means that's what I went with this guy when he challenged my, my hydrological you know, solution for flooding. I, I, I did a double take. He's like, is that my enemy? And I'm like, no, he's not your enemy. Okay? And then there's DEFCON 5. It's called Exercise Fade Out, Normal Readiness, Lowest State of Going to War with Another Individual or Another Country. <sighs> what DEFCON are you at in marriage? Wives, are you ready to beat, berate your husbands? I mean, you, some wives are, are always at DEFCON 2 with their husbands. Can I get you to step it back to DEFCON 5? Okay, some guys, I'm going to say this, you're at DEFCON 5 too long. Your wife needs to be fought for. Your marriage needs to be fought for. You know, you need to show a little bit more readiness. How about with people of different color? How about people who uh, don't agree with you? This all reinforces David's psalm. When we have disunity with God, the same muck of disunity flows downhill to everyone else. The blessings that God has commanded dries up. Um, a couple more bumps in our social road and the wheels are going to come off. Okay? What your marriage needs right now is to be lived with humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance and love to one another, and diligent, ever so diligent to preserve unity. What your view on vaccines needs and masks needs to be right now needs to be lived with humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance and love, and diligent, diligent to preserve unity. What your political views need to be and how they need to be expressed today, nothing wrong with having them, but they need to be expressed with humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance and love towards those of a different party, and diligent to preserve unity. What your moral views need right now, and they may be right, they need to be expressed with humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance, and, and, and diligent to preserve unity. Over the past two years, this church has been put to the test. I think every church has, but I really do think Crosstown has, just like your friendships have, just like your marriage has, and just like our country has. You know, race could have divided us. And, um, and it got tight there for a while. Okay? It's like, okay, I'm, I need to make sure I'm saying the right thing. I, I need to make sure our, our leadership is saying the right thing. I need to make sure, you know, we got to, it's like, wait a minute, where does the American in you stop and the Christian of you prevail? You know? Politics could have ignited us. I mean, really. I mean, we were on a powdery keg. We were all at DEFCON 3 or 2 during the elections and, and, and events after the elections. COVID could have interrupted us. It really can. See, so when I'm going around to all of our ministry leads and all our leaders in the church and all our staff members, and I say, hey, listen, if you haven't been vaccinated, and I'm not asking you to, but if you haven't been vaccinated, 
can you do me, I, I need you to mask up. I'm not, I'm not making, stating an opinion about COVID-19. I'm stating a, an opinion about unity. I'm like, listen, yeah, we may differ on it, but we all got to do our part to preserve unity. And that's greater than my opinion on what goes on with the vaccine. But in it, I can say about it across town, we all strove to, to live uh, in one faith with tolerant love. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we had an outbreak of COVID among the staff, okay? And our children, and it easily could have been a war because not everybody is in agreement on vaccine, even in our leadership team. It's like, really? I would have thought you made everybody get the vaccine. I don't have that right, okay? I don't have that right. But I have the right to quote scripture and say, do whatever you have to do to preserve unity. Um, and you know what? Here we are, two years later after all the stuff that's gone down in America, and God has absolutely blessed us. Why? He's commanding a blessing for those who will have unity with him and then allow that blessing to flow into their marriage and society around them. So what to do in closing? I know I've gone a little long here, but I, I, this is not the kind of thing you can just kind of do half of it and say, let's get back to it next week. Let me first read a verse before I answer it. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Apostle Peter. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. But see, it's going to have to change how we do, how we do tolerance, how we deal with disagreements. For whoever desires to love life and see good days or experience good and pleasant places, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So this is a time for us as, as Christians to reestablish unity with God. To set your conflict response to DEFCON 5. To preserve and fight only for what matters and to live in Christ's tolerance to all. This is, this is it right here, folks. I wish I, could, I wish I could preach this message from the White House. I wish I could do, preach this to the right-wingers and the left-wingers. I, I wish I could preach it to, to everyone. It's our ability to stand up under attack is not only the measure of America, but even greater than that, it's our measure of Christianity. And, 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 and I just, I'm gonna just deviate just for a second. Where this has challenged me is particularly on the issue of gender. And I know, I'm gonna say this because a lot of you have asked me, what if you're invited to a gay marriage? What do you do? I've grown 
over the last couple of years on this. I know what the Bible says about marriage. I know what it says about gender, and I know what it says about sexuality, and I have not deviated from that in any way, and don't plan to deviate in that from that in any way. But I've been to a lot of heterosexual marriages where I know that that girl was marrying a doofus. Okay? And I went anyway. And I bought them a present. Why? It's because they weren't asking my opinion about marriage. They invited me because I was their friend. And I went as a friend. They'll work out their marriage on their own. They're not asking me to work out their marriage. They're not asking me to vote for their marriage. They're just asking me to come as a friend. Why can't we do that? Well, Paul Bishop, Paul, we'll be affirming their lifestyle. Okay, if that's true, if you have Netflix here today and you're a Christian and you hold that position, you have no right to have Netflix because there is more pornography, there is more crap, murder, and stuff on Netflix that is inconsistent with your Christian worldview, and you pay for that. It's like, oh, he's such a jerk. <laughs> I'm just trying to say Christians... Let's love people, okay? I don't believe it. I won't perform a gay marriage. I will not affirm it. But go to one, tell those people I love them, gift them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. They're not even asking me to die for them at their marriage. So let me ask you to reconsider, not your stand on moral truth, but how you interact with people who are different than you. God's not telling us to give up our distinctiveness, but he is reinforming us that our distinctiveness is how we interact with people that are different than us. That's what makes us special. This is not the time for us to lose that. Father, I thank you so much, and I thank you for this incredible group of people that are so different from each other. God, if they knew who they were sitting next to, I'm glad they don't. Because I know we're from all different political parties and persuasions and all kinds of things, and, and our views of God are different, but Lord God, they are, they are teachable. They are they're willing to lead, they're willing to love. And I just pray that you will command your blessing on these people as, as we walk in humility and, and love and tolerance, gracious, loving tolerance. Lord God, in the middle of this world, I pray, Lord God, that you will command a blessing through us to the world around us. The God, that that cold heart that we have, that when it is impacted by the love the truth of God, that there will be this incredible, gracious formation of dew that turns into a sea of Galilee. So Father, today, help us to love for our marriage's sake, for our community's sake, for our family's sake, and for our country's sake.